It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here, as always, with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by the president of Forward, Todd Schulte. Thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be here with you all. There's an issue that I think most progressives are not aware of, um, which is that it's likely that a court in Texas is going to throw out DACA soon, and we need to worry about fixing that. It's like, no, 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 we, we just we just got Biden instead of Trump. DACA's good, right? We're okay here, yeah. right? And the answer is maybe it's, no. It's such an important point. Yeah, it's yeah. such an important point. So first off, I want to say, I want to thank you all and so many listeners. Fighting to keep DACA alive for four years during the Trump administration, you know, he promised to end this on day one. Right. was a unbelievable win. I, I really I, I want to acknowledge that and start there. Um, DACA uh, is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program for 700,000 um, young people who came to this country as children at the average age of six. They've been here for 23 years. It is a life-changing protection uh, in terms of uh, the ability to work and live legally in the United States. But what we have seen is an assault um, in the courts against this program. Um, and in Texas right now, also right at the border in Brownsville, Texas, a federal judge is most likely going to rule that he thinks DACA is illegal. Now, that's not likely to rip away work permits from people who have them right now. Um, but we do expect that uh, he will take efforts to say uh, this program needs to be frozen. It could be eliminated. Now, he's wrong. It is a legal program. But in a 6-3 Supreme Court, um, we can't rely on the courts and mm-hmm. We need to prepare that DACA could go away, and really what that means is we, we got to be really focused on getting legislation to give um, DACA recipients the permanent protections that they deserve with the pathway to citizenship. So the permanent, okay, so the permanent protections are basically an end run for the court system, which we know conservatives have packed with mm-hmm. ideologues who are oh. hostile to the idea of, of dreamers in, in this country. Um, do, do, what do we know about this federal judge, the one in Texas? Is he a Trump appointee? Uh, his name is his name is uh, Judge Hanen. He was a, appointed by uh, President Bush, uh, President George W. Bush. Oh, right. He has he he has previously indicated he believes DACA is illegal, um, and so because of that, we anticipate what is you know again we don't think is the correct decision. Um, but the guy has said he thinks DACA is unlawful, and therefore we want people to understand we're going to fight you know, as hard as we can to keep the program in place. But ultimately, not just because we could lose DACA in the courts, but because no one should have to live their life on every two-year increments. Like, people deserve a pathway to citizenship, and it's really popular. So because of that, that's why we are so focused on really taking like a kind of all-of-the-above approach on Congress. President Biden's going to introduce a bill centered on a pathway to citizenship for everyone today. President Durbin and others are leading on the DREAM Act. There's a, a number of different legislative vehicles. And rather than past administrations where it says to all in one bill, we want to get as, as many bills having legal status across the finish line for as many populations as possible. Like, let's push hard and see where we can get either on a 50 vote or a 60 vote margin in the Senate and then get to 218 in the House. 
Yeah, is this the kind of thing where we have to eliminate the filibuster or this isn't going to happen? It's not. Um, I do think that there's a, a, a real chance on, you know, probably something like the DREAM Act and getting to 60. That being said, you can also do this on reconciliation, um, which is this, you can put things as part of the budget process where mm-hmm. they're doing one of these big packages now. They think they'll do it uh, later. And so I think what you, you have seen is a lot of folks in, in the business community and immigrants' rights advocates coming together to say, hey, like if we can't get to 60 right now in the Senate, let's put a pathway to citizenship for essential workers who are immigrants and dreamers and TPS holders and, and farm workers. We can do that on reconciliation. And if it comes to it a month or two where from now we haven't gotten to 60, we should do it on a 50-vote margin. Um, now, I should say personally, uh, I'm very in favor of getting rid of the filibuster, <laughs> and this would make it much easier. Um, we should get rid of the filibuster for many reasons, and one of which is it's been 35 years since we've given people legal status in this country. We know what the filibuster is used for um, historically, yeah. uh, and denying the ability for people who've been in this country for decades to get citizenship um, would unfortunately be uh, in line with the historical um, discriminatory purposes of the filibuster. Jim Crow Relic. What's exactly. sad about it, though, is it feels like, you know, like other issues that have to do with race, um, immigration is an issue that, you know, once once Joe Biden comes out and and says, OK, I'm going to do this, uh, I have to sneeze. OK. <laughs> OK, pause for sneezing. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Look how Thank cute you, you are. Sneeze pause. I mean, look. I've got a face for podcasting happens. and sneeze pause like, is an important thing. No, no, sneeze this is, is real, but thing. this is live radio, so I just had to do that. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> I have allergies. Anyway, the point is, um, as with most conversations about um, anything doing with race, I feel like this is going to get ugly quickly. Um, what are some of the ridiculous arguments we should anticipate? Um, because I feel like if Joe Biden steps out and says, we are going to give all of these, um, undocumented people a pathway to citizenship, then that becomes Biden wants to, you know, make every member of MS-13, um, you know, the school board president, I don't know what they would say, but like, (laughs) you know, they're, they're going to exaggerate in the other direction. And I want to sort of demystify what's actually going to be happening versus what the rhetoric will be when he does finally get in front of a microphone and say these things. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head here, which is we've seen this before. And it's basically going to be, I think, three buckets of attacks. One is um, kind of process arguments on, no, no, like I'm not in favor of deporting millions of people. But what we need to do is pair it with X, Y, and Z poison pills that are never going to happen. But when you move past that, you get into these other attacks oh, well, there's 11 million people. What if a couple of them have X, Y, and Z, you know, criminal convictions? And like that leads into these, uh, you know, like racialized and racist concepts about, um, you know, the inherent dangerousness of folks who, you know, predominantly aren't white. And, um, you know, we see this in whether or not the kind of criminalization language uh, that we see in the traditional criminal justice system. But yeah, like, you know, President Trump going to Long Island and saying ICE is liberating liberating cities in Long Island. Um, I should say, I think someone's right. foia for what that list was. And it is just kind of racialized fear mongering um, on this. You'll see people who will say, what we just really need to do is secure the border first. And then we promise we'll get around to giving these dreamers pathway to citizenship. We've spent over $300 billion on immigration enforcement over the last 
uh, 20 years in this country. Um, we built an immigration system largely designed to stop, you know, predominantly um, Mexican nationals and Mexican men from crossing the border to work. And guess what? Undetected crossings of people from Mexico are down over 95% over the last 20 years. What we have today is a system of immigration laws that doesn't make sense. We have 11 million people who've been here for 15 years on average. Um, and what we have today at the border is families coming and applying for asylum. Like we can deal fairly with people who are here. We can give them a process to go through. Um, you know, people are already paying taxes. You'll hear this attack that they are going to be, you know, taking benefits away. Immigrants on average put in more into the kind of net fiscal system mm-hmm. than they take out of it. That's not true. And often those economic arguments really do come back to your, people are saying economics, but they're talking about something else. But I think you just have to keep having these conversations with people. Then we got to call the question. Like we got to put a bill on the floor that says DACA is going away or may have gone away here. You got to vote yay or nay on the DREAM Act. Like no more process arguments for you. And that's why right. I think we're going to win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly. I, I want to talk about the popularity of DACA for a second because we we try to we try to highlight this on the show about certain issues. Um, you know, we we get this sense that there are issues that are just you know the third rail in political conversation. That they're they're incredibly divisive, they're incredibly controversial. Um, we feel this way about like abortion and guns. And it turns out that actually there's more of a national consensus on abortion rights and uh, common sense gun safety legislation than there is on just about anything else. DACA is one of those issues The the vast majority of America. And when I say vast majority, I mean, it's a bipartisan majority of America that wants to see the DREAM Act passed. Like this is not a controversial issue, d- despite what what you would what you would think if you were just you know reading about it in the media. Yeah, and I think that's why this this gets obfuscated by our opponents on these process points. Um, you know, the like noted liberals um, at Fox News who do really accurate polling, mm-hmm. I should say, mm-hmm. have consistently mm-hmm. shown the support for a pathway to citizenship for Dreamers clocks in at over seventy percent with Republicans. Um, and also, it's a salient issue. And the reason for that is, you know, at this point, um, this is coming in at over 80% support. And uh, because, look, I just think people can have different views on what does is, what is an uh, immigration system for an employment-based system look like? What are, you know, what, how many people should be coming each year through various visa categories? How do people feel about um, – you know, lots of aspects about immigration policy. And we work on those, and they're really important. I don't want to diminish them. But on a couple of issues, like, the public has just made up its mind. Like, they want DACA recipients to be able to stay in this country, and they don't think they should be able to stay in this country and live their life, you know, year to year to year. So, again, I think that's why what you're going to see is um, a legislative effort from people who are going to say, look, we're not saying we're against the Dreamers. We love the Dreamers. And then we just want these four other provisions that are on there. So... Again, I think that's so important that Democrats lead with a clear and forceful argument that, like, they are fighting for citizenship because it's the right thing to do for these folks. And it's the right thing to do for everyone and not get caught up on, like, which legislative vehicle or, like, what it's being paired with. Like, let's be for the popular thing. It's good policy and it's the politics. Yeah, that seems this seems like a win, win, win for everybody. So what, what do what do our listeners need to do to make this a reality? Like what what is the yes. thing that you are asking of people? Uh, I, I will I will start with the call your member of Congress, um, get in contact over email, post on this. Uh, you know, I think 
politics isn't just about having support. It's about intensity of support. It's about ranking issues. And I would say if you were fighting hard in the last four years, whether you were fighting hard before that or not on these issues, like we got to keep you fighting hard on this. So please call your member of Congress and your senator. You, those are three people. Um, whether they are a Republican or a Democrat, we need them all in this so together. Um, I, I often hear like, oh, well, my congressman supports X, Y, Z. If we're talking about like issue prioritization, mm-hmm. you know, have your member of Congress not just say, oh, I support you. But then you ask them, what are you going to do to get this done? Are you willing to, you know, not just do this, trying to get the 60 votes in the Senate? Uh, are you willing to say this has to be part of a reconciliation package on COVID recovery? Because ultimately, we know who COVID is crushing the most right now. And mm-hmm. there isn't going to be an economic recovery and a COVID recovery that leaves immigrant communities behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, All what right, well, we've learned in the pandemic is that many of the immigrant communities um, that we we watch policymakers, you know, criticize from their, you know, Senate seats in the in front of the microphone when they do their speeches or at their press conferences. Those are the people that have been on the front line making sure that we have food. Mm-hmm. A lot of those communities are those essential employees that we were clapping for at six o'clock um, in, right. in some cities. I mean, I wasn't. I live in a suburb and there really wasn't anybody clap. around to clap. Um, but I also at the time I was a little or, mad or about or the sneeze. clapping. You can do both. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I was mad about the clapping because I was like, we need to make, the, you know, like we need to do more than yeah. clap, y'all. But um, but I think that, you know, we should reframe completely how we think about immigrant communities, because many of them have been keeping us fed. Um, they're also just a part I, of our I community and their people, too. But I mean, sometimes right. I try to, you know, give people multiple reasons to care about a thing. You can pick. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Like, no, I think I, look, we should start with a sense of we should start <laughs> with that sense of shared humanity and dignity, and we should explain to people if you're going to call someone essential, they deserve a pathway to citizenship. And whether or not it is the mistreatment we've seen in, in meatpacking plants, where people were betting yeah. on how many of their, in this case, largely Latino and immigrant workforce, were going to get sick, or whether or not we saw this rip through Los Angeles. Um, these are historically marginalized communities who don't have access to health care in the same ways. Um, and we've seen the same thing in black and indigenous communities. Um, we know who has been bearing the brunt of this. And I just think anybody who wants to say they're essential should be able to say, and all I'm saying is like, let's get people a piece of paper so they can pay taxes and do all the boring regular stuff like the rest of us. In addition to the really extraordinary stuff, like trying to keep people fed during a pandemic. Yeah. I, I do want to ask about the the conditions that we're dealing with in, in Texas right now, because it is not just a, a sort of, I mean, I, I was about to say like once in a lifetime storm. And of course, we're just going to see more of these because this storm mm-hmm. is evidence of, you know, climate change and that's not going anywhere immediately. So, but we're not only dealing with that, we are also dealing with a pandemic. So we have been you know, so terrified about the conditions in detention centers since the very start of this pandemic and the fact that we're not prioritizing incarcerated people or detained people for mm-hmm. vaccines is driving me absolutely mad. But what what's happening there right now, now that we're in the deep freeze, now that we're in the polar vortex, what are conditions like? Uh, I just want to double down on what you said, which is uh, nobody should be sentenced. Uh, to get COVID and uh, implicitly or explicitly. I think that's such an important point. And if we're not going to let people out, which we should, 
we, mm-hmm. we got to get people vaccines. You know, this morning, probably 300,000 people woke up incarcerated between federal, state, local, uh, and immigration jails and prisons in Texas. Um, wow. We are really concerned about what we are seeing. You still have family jails um, that are run in Texas uh, for families seeking asylum. Um, and it's really, really challenging. Um, and we're really concerned about that. I would say a very basic thing is um, – whether it is because of COVID or these conditions, like if you cannot keep someone safe and you cannot keep people safe incarcerated during these conditions, if you ever can, um, they should, we should be getting people out, like large numbers of people out. And we should have been doing this for a long time. I'll also say that for um, the tens of thousands of families who've been stuck uh, at the U.S.-Mexico border on the other side, you've seen these like tent camps in places like Matamoros, um, you know, water, the water pipes that people had put in to bring in very basic, uh, like, water. Um, people were living in tents. It was 20 degrees. Um, these families had been there for 12 to 18 months waiting for a chance to apply for asylum, feet from the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, we are thankful that the Biden administration is going to start to let some of these people apply um, tomorrow um, through ending what's called the, the Remain in Mexico policy. But we also would like to see them end what's called Title 42. This is a restriction put in place by Stephen Miller that basically uh, blocked all people from crossing the border to seek asylum. And we'd like to see them stop these expulsion flights to uh, almost exclusively black asylum seekers to places like Haiti and Cameroon. Um, So there's a lot of work to be done there. These conditions are tough. They're really inhumane. And I think that's just a call for all of us to, to, you know, make sure we are um, holding the administration accountable and pushing them to, to move quickly on these things. Todd Schulte, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, shedding some light on this. I, I hope I hope everybody is properly freaked out about, about what we need to do going forward. We appreciate you. Please uh, stay safe and as sane as possible in all of this. Same to you. Thanks, friends. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 